I want us to think together this morning of words found in Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 27. Paul is writing to a church uh, with which he has had close fellowship from the time the church was established. And he's writing to them from prison in Rome. Not sure if he'll see them again, but hoping he will. But then he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So he, he has this great exhortation that these Christians in Philippi would, should stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And I felt as we start a new year as a church, it would be good for us to think of a theme that speaks to us as individuals and also as a company of God's people. Uh, because, you know, we've lived, haven't we, through almost two years of a, a pandemic and uh, it's changed things. It's thrown our normal routine out. And uh, we're familiar with uh, situations where people say, well, there's been a problem, but it's all to do with COVID. Uh, and we sometimes can think, well, it's COVID. But it's not really COVID, is it often? It's us. It's our hearts. And, and we have been affected. And it's good, therefore, to resolve uh, as a company of God's people how we're going to live. We, we trust that through this year we will find a, a new pastor and hopefully he will begin his ministry among us and we look forward to that. And again, you know, sometimes churches can say, well, when the new pastor comes, but that's not the issue. It isn't we're going to do it when he comes. It's something we're to do now so that when that pastor arrives, we're already busy in his work, the Lord's work. And I remember I've been called to churches and uh, in, in the first elders meeting, uh, they, they brought out a file and said, well, we've been keeping these things till the new pastor arrives. And I think, oh, right, okay. Uh, it's as if, you know, when the pastor arrives, he's, he's got the ability to sort it all out. But, but we need to say, Lord, how do you want us to live in this time? How do you want us to behave as God's people? As we'll see, he talks about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. <coughs> and he was concerned that these Christians in Philippi should do that. As I said, there was a very close relationship between Paul and the, the Christians here. He talks about their partnership in the gospel. He talks about the people that they've sent, like Epaphroditus, to encourage him, the gifts that they've sent. He loves them. And that's why he wants the best for them. He's not chiding them. He's not telling them off. He's encouraging them to live out the implications of being Christians in Philippi. He particularly wants them to be united in one mind and one heart. And uh, he also wants them to be able to recognize and deal with false teaching and be true to what he has taught them. And also to be ready to suffer 
for the sake of the gospel, as they've seen him suffer. They, they saw him being beaten, those early believers. And now they're suffering, and he is still suffering for the cause of the gospel. And the ongoing life and experience of every congregation is one that has similar challenges. We can't rely on the experiences of the past. Sometimes churches do that. We've got a great history, but that's history. What are we doing today? How are we living for him now? There's false teaching we've got to recognize. And he, he also talks here about contending for the faith of the gospel, of maintaining our spiritual zeal and clear purpose. I wonder is that true of you as an individual? Is it true of me? It, is it true of us as a congregation of God's people? Uh, we're fervent. We're eager in serving the Lord. But we're not just sort of marking time um, for whatever reason, till COVID's over, till the new pastor comes. But actually, we are flat out in serving the Lord. So I want us to look this morning just at some of the things that Paul mentions here, which are relevant, were relevant in Philippi and are relevant for us here in St. Melons. And the first is just very simply this, that there are always the opposing ones, he talks about not being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There have always been opponents of the truth. It was true of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been thinking about his birth. And, and no sooner was he born than Herod wanted to kill him. Throughout his ministry, he faced opposition. Paul faced opposition as well. And it's part of being involved in a spiritual battle. And we often don't fully realize that. Uh, Paul says when he writes to the Ephesians, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. It isn't all the people in the world who've got different ideas from what God's word says. It, it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle against the hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's why we've got to use spiritual means to engage in this battle. That's why the life, the regular life of the church matters. Because it's there that we engage spiritually with the situation in which we find ourselves. And uh, one hymnist says, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Uh, once we stop exercising ourselves in, in the means of grace, the way God helps us to grow, then we're no longer confronting the enemy. And in Philippi, there were the opposing ones. Uh, there were Jewish people who were opposed to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. And there was also the Roman authorities. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was Roman to the core. And there was the imperial cult of the emperor. Uh, the Roman emperor was worshipped. And faithful Roman citizens were required every year to burn incense and to say, Caesar is Lord. It was partly a spiritual thing, but it was also a an oath of allegiance, an oath of loyalty. And when Christians said, we can't do that because there is only one Lord and he is Jesus, they were not saying we are disloyal subjects. They were loyal subjects, but they couldn't worship the Caesar. And you, you see, don't you, things that are similar for us today. We are labeled as being uh, phobic and hateful when we're not when we're simply holding to the truth of God's word. And one of the main reasons why Christians were persecuted uh, was because they wouldn't join in the cult of emperor worship. 
And we are facing times like that too, the opposing ones. And they seem very strong. Perhaps you sometimes see the things that are going on. You think, well, uh, things are going from bad to worse. And things are going to get difficult for us. And sometimes, because we live in a democracy, we can stand up for our rights. Paul stood up for his rights as a Roman citizen. But he never saw that as the main battle. The main battle had to do with the gospel. It had to do with a message which he proclaimed and preached and his calling to serve God. And it's true for us, too. And when we take the opposition seriously, then we, we realize we need God's help. We need spiritual resources in order to overcome those who are opposing us and opposing our Savior. In the first century world, as today, those who oppose have positions of authority and power. And Paul and the rest of the Christians were just nobodies, really, in the Roman Empire. And we're like that, too, in our world today. But God is with us, and he is the source of our help and our strength, and we need to realize that. And Paul, before he was a Christian, said that he was convinced that he ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. There are people today who are like that. Uh, They want to oppose Christian teaching. Christians are one of the main targets. And uh, Paul voted for, for Christians to be put to death before he was converted. And uh, he denied that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And we have people like that today. That's the reality of our situation. And yet Paul's experience is a reminder to us that God can break into the life of anyone and turn them round and change them. So the first point is, yes, there's always the opposing ones. It's always been like that. And then the danger is that we are intimidated by the opposition. And uh, we feel afraid. And uh, it affects us. And we don't do the things that we ought to do. He says, without being frightened or terrified in any way, it's the effect of the opposition. And inside, we, we think, well, I won't say that. And I won't say that I'm a Christian. Because if I do, it will bring opposition upon me. There's a place for wisdom. But not to fear that paralyzes us. Uh, In fact, the word has the idea of a a timid animal that shies up a horse, perhaps, that sees something and rears up. It's afraid, it's intimidated by whatever it has seen. And uh, Paul is saying we're not to be intimidated like that. The Apostle Peter was intimidated by a slave girl asking him a question. It can be very ordinary, very simple. But uh, when he was asked, was he a follower of Jesus, he said, oh, no, I'm not. And, And he did it three times. And you know, that's the aim of the adversary, to intimidate us. When I was in the first year in school, we were playing rugby, being taught how to play it. And we were being taught this particular lesson, how to tackle. And uh, so the PE teacher, for some reason, said to me, Milsom, you stand on the line and and I'm going to run at you and you tackle me. I thought, well, he's teaching me how to tackle, so probably he'll run rather slowly and uh, give me a chance to get my arms around him and bring him down. Well, he didn't do that at all. Suddenly, he put on a face uh, of sort of intimidation to me and ran at me like a wild animal. 
And uh, well, I just stepped aside because <laughs> I, uh, I didn't want to be flattened. But you see, that was his aim to intimidate, and he, it succeeded. And then he did it again, and we did it properly. But um, that's what enemies do. They are out to intimidate us. And I think we have to say that today they're succeeding. They are intimidating us. And it was possible for the Christians in Philippi to be intimidated. You think of all the things in our world, secularism, materialism, communism, liberalism, modernism, progressive thinking, uh, other churches, other religions, sects, all inspired by the enemy of God's souls, wanting to take people to a lost eternity. The media is almost totally unsympathetic. And, you know, we say, oh, dear, what can we do? Well, once we understand that God is with us and that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, it changes everything. And that's what Paul wants the church in Philippi to be like, and not to be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And uh, the only way not to be intimidated is to trust God more, to exercise faith and confidence in him. And even though things seem so much against us, God is for us, and that changes everything. So we don't think about our opponents and our own weakness, but we think about him, his greatness, his goodness, his faithfulness. Our God is so big, so great, and so strong, the children sing. But do we believe that? Nothing that he cannot do. And uh, Paul is speaking here about the victory of these Philippian Christians being by God, by his help. So when they see the victories they win, they say, God did that. He answered our prayers. And it's living as a congregation where when we're praying, we're looking for answers. And when we see them, we recognize them. And it encourages us to ask more. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. So there are the opposing ones. They're trying to intimidate us and we feel it. But we've got to be ready in the face of that to contend as one man in one spirit, for the faith of the gospel. The gospel has got to be contended for. That doesn't mean that we've got to be contentious people. It means that we stand firm, we are resolute. Sometimes, you know, in, in athletic competitions, the main thing is, at first, just to stand firm. If you've ever been involved in a tug of war, you know, they, you, you take the strain and suddenly you start to pull. And at first, neither side moves. But perhaps if you're on the stronger side, you feel if we just stand firm now, things are going to turn our way. And before you know it, you're going backwards and they're, they're losing the tug of war. So standing firm is significant, not being shaken, not being swayed. And uh, doing that together for the faith of the gospel. It's for the truth the truth contained in God's word, and the gospel itself, which is the essential element in that message in God's word. And everything that undermines the gospel of God, we've got to stand against and affirm God's free grace to sinners. The trouble sometimes is that those who believe the gospel and believe the Bible become contentious in the way they do things. They're always contending against 
They're always writing letters of complaint. But Paul isn't thinking of that. He's talking about contending for the gospel. Now, there is a negative element to that. But basically, we're passionate about the good news of Jesus. And we want people to hear and believe in him. Wherever they may be now, whatever may be their way of thinking, we believe that the gospel is what they need. The Savior is the one they need. And we're going to keep standing for that gospel, whoever the opposing ones might be. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, and they'd been led astray by false teaching, he said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Even if an angel in heaven, still, we proclaim the gospel of his grace. And to do that with vigor and warmth and eagerness. And you know, sometimes when a Christian is just quietly living a faithful Christian life, perhaps feeling that their life doesn't count for much, others who see it know that it's different. And there's a sense of God, and there's a sense of peace, and there's a sense of faithfulness to him. Wherever God has placed us with our neighbors, friends, and places of work, or places of study, school, or college, university, we're for the gospel. Why are you different? Well, it's because of my Savior and because of his grace to me. There's a temptation sometimes to want to be respectable, uh, for people to say, oh, aren't they really nice people? Now, I don't think they should say, aren't you nasty people? But you know what I mean? Where you, where you blunt the message to the gospel in order to gain acceptance. And, uh, well, that's not always possible to do. And uh, so to be ener- are we energetic as a company of God's people? It's easy, isn't it, for apathy to come in and uh, just to sort of lose our edge. And uh, we're still sort of running, but we're not running the way we once did. And uh, Paul knows that. Though he's not with the Philippians, he wants them uh, to contend for the gospel. And to do that in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's a way to behave, isn't there? There are some Christians who are so passionate about the truth, they lose sight of what it means to behave as a Christian. And churches through history have suffered, not because of the world out there, not because of the opposing ones, because, but because of the things inside the church. I think that's true today. Uh, there are churches that are tearing themselves apart. And it's all to do with how Christians are behaving, and often they're not behaving in a manner worthy of the gospel, consistent with gospel truth and gospel principles. You think of the example of Jesus. At times, he clearly denounces false religion. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisee. You hypocrites. He's very plain in what he says. And yet also there was a, a gentleness and a graciousness about how he behaved. So he says there's a fulfillment of prophecy in his life. Prophecy of Isaiah, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Here's this gentleness, this graciousness that meant the people with their needs went to him. The outcasts went to him, the tax collectors went to him, the sinners went to him. Why? Because he was absolutely clear on the truth. He stood firmly for that. But the way in which he did it was something that was striking and different. And we are to to be like him. People may not at first hear what we say, but they will observe how we behave, the sort of people we are. And uh, sometimes in that desire to contend, we actually turn people away because we're not behaving in a manner worthy of the gospel. And one of those things that is worthy of the gospel is being united, being together. It's a thing you, it's a word you come across in the book of Acts. They were all together. And uh, that's something that's so important, is it? Being united. Because disunity destroys everything. It renders the church ineffective. And the unity is not simply doing what we're told. It's a unity of the spirit. Let's be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. It's a God-given unity. Sometimes in churches you have an authoritarian leadership. I was listening to a program this morning on the radio about Afghanistan. And I was thinking, oh Lord, please deliver us in our leadership of churches from me a bit like the Taliban, who come and say, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you enforce it. But that isn't the kind of leadership that models Jesus. Clearly they're an extreme example, but it's that which fosters a a unity, uh, an ability to live together, to serve together. in, In the sporting world, The managers who have the greatest success are those who bring teams together in such a way that they strive together for one common cause. They may not be the most talented footballers or rugby players or whatever it is, but they've all got a common purpose. And Paul wants the church in Philippi to be like that, a real and deep unity. Because when we're contending, it can expose the the fault lines and the things that divide us. And, for instance, in COVID, there are churches who have lost members because they weren't being strict enough or because they were keeping rules at all. And Christians say, I can't stay here because of this and that. And you think, yes, that's, that's the division that the evil one causes. But also, if our unity is to be real, every single member of the church must matter. We need everyone And uh, we need to be united together. In fact, the picture of being united uh, is is one which has a a reference to the Roman armies. If you've seen the films of the Roman armies, when the enemy come, the Roman soldiers stand with their shields next to each other and their spears. And you think, wow, we're fighting not just a few men, but we're fighting an army, that unity. And that's what we need to pray for in the church that every part, every one of us feels part of that because every one of us has a role to play. Paul talks about the body in, in 1 Corinthians and he says the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, or the eyes say to the ear, I don't need you. And any member of the body can't say, well, I'm not a member of the body because I'm not that member or that member. Everyone matters. 
You know, there was a time, wasn't there, when they operated on parts of our bodies and said, you don't need that. We'll cut that out. You don't need it. Tonsils, don't need those. Well, now they leave them in because they realize they were fulfilling a purpose. And only in extreme circumstances, they take them out. You matter. Every Christian in this congregation matters to the life of the church. It's not just about the leaders. It's not just about those who are more gifted or those who happen to be undertaking ministries. Everyone matters. And that's the picture in Philippi. United as one man, like an army, united, standing shoulder to shoulder for the cause of the gospel. Is that what we pray for, for the church? Not individualizing, say, well, it's, I like going to church because I get what I need from it, but actually saying I'm part of a body with a common cause and a common purpose. They look to the year ahead and the coming of a new pastor. When they arrive, they'll find us like that. United in the cause of the gospel, contending whoever is opposed to us and doing it in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know that later in Philippians, Paul exhorts two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, to agree with each other. There were difficulties and divisions, and there will be tensions in any congregation. But he, he has this lovely picture of them contending as uh, one man, side by side, in the cause of the gospel. Is that your prayer uh, for us here in Smellens? That that's how we'll be more and more, uh, and therefore not being overcome by the, the problems and the difficulties that we face. Because we've got a common goal, a common desire. That's, that's why people unite together, because they're uniting for a purpose, not, not just for unity's sake. In fact, the unity is something that God creates as we come to be in Christ. But we want to see God glorified in the proclamation of the gospel. You want to see God glorified in people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. We want people to say, well, I don't agree with those Christians, but I've got to say that what they believe makes a difference to them. And they're the most loving and caring people in the world. I read an article over Christmas by a journalist who I don't think had any personal faith, but he said he'd seen a great example of of love and self-sacrifice, there was a man living on the streets and uh, people were passing by and not helping him and he was in great need. And uh, then this older couple passed him and talked to him and got to know him. And they said, you can come to our house and stay with us. And he said, what a risk it was. They didn't know this man. They didn't know what problems they were doing, but they asked him into their home. And then they said, we're going to have a word with our vicar and see if we can arrange for you to live for a while in the church building during the winter. And uh, they went to speak to the He said, yes, he can do that, that we're very happy for him to do that. And they began to look for him to, uh, to find a home longer term and, and work and employment. And this man just said, well, that's, that's what love is all about. That's what self-sacrifice is all about. And he saw it in these people. And you know, almost always, not all, not always, but almost always, when you read a story like that, you find sooner or later that it's because the people knew God and loved Jesus and lived out the gospel. And and our world is a troubled world. It's a hurting world. And it was like that in Philippi under the Romans too. Um, But we've got a goal. They had a goal and an aim. God's glory 
in the proclamation of the gospel, in the salvation of the lost, in lives that are lived. And uh, Paul himself tried to live that out. Uh, He had been won by Christ, even though he vehemently opposed him. And uh, he describes in his last letter, second letter to Timothy, his life, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Why? In the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We must never be people who are so passionate about the truth, we proclaim it in such a way that people are turned away from the message they need and the saviour that they need, conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And you know, when you think about that, you say, Lord, we need your help. We need your strength. We need you to enable us, to enable us individually, to enable us as a company of people, to enable those who lead us to be wise in the way that they lead. Because Paul knew how this would be accomplished, how the victory would be gained. And uh, he says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. And perhaps our prayer as we look to this coming year is, oh Lord, be among us. Be in us. He is in us. Help us to work the implications of that out. Not to be frightened of those who oppose us, but to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to do it together, and then to see what you will do and the glory that you will take to your great name. Amen.